and welcome to The Bunker, the home of almost anything you'd ever need to know on news and politics from the UK and around the world. I'm your host, Chris Jones. Now, if you've paid any attention to French politics over the past decade, you will almost certainly have heard of Marine Le Pen. If you've not, she's the former leader of the far-right Rassemblement National Party, or in English, the National Rally, and has failed twice to become the French president in both 2017 and in 2022. But that could change in the next presidential election. Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin told French media that in 2027, a victory for Le Pen is quite probable. If she were victorious, what would that mean for France? What would change? And how would the French react? Well, joining me to discuss all of this is Paul Smith, an associate professor in French history and politics at Nottingham University. Welcome to The Bunker, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Chris. Excellent. Let's start right at the beginning. Where has uh, Marine Le Pen come from? What's behind her, her rise to success, as it were? Well, uh, you mentioned earlier that she'd already stood twice for the president. It's actually it's three times. She stood in 2012, 2017 and 2022. She, um, she succeeded her father as the leader of what was then the Front National, the far right wing party, the, the National Front. Um, that's a very right, far right wing thing, isn't it? This kind of uh, the dynastic thing. She defeated the, the party candidate, as it were. She stood as the the continuity inheritance candidate in 2011, became president of the party, stood in 2012 and did surprisingly well, 17%. Stood again, of course, the ones that we know about 2017 and 2022 when she goes through to the second round of the election. Because, of course, what's really important, and it's something that probably we'll discuss more than once, is this feature of the, the second round of voting, because that's going to be a key, that's a key feature of of French elections. So she comes from, from the same stable as her father, but the big difference is that she has worked since she took over to, the French use the expression to de-diaboliser, the word diable is in there, it's the idea of to de-demonize or perhaps more easily to detoxify. So to detoxify the party, make it look not like a party that just shouts a lot, but actually has a program of government that has recast a lot of its policies as using the language of the Republic, most uh, particularly using the idea of the secular Republic, what the French call la laïcité, and kind of recasting it as, a, as part of the Republican firmament, as it were, the, 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 uh, the selection of, of, of Republican parties. And she's done, because up until, you know, her, when her father was in charge of the party, the Front National was always seen as being beyond the pale of the of the Republican parties, she has transformed that. So that's where she comes from. And that's what her success has been for increasingly people on the right of the French political spectrum to look at her and think maybe she's not that bad after all. And that's where the risk lies. Let's talk about uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, um, as you mentioned there, Marine's uh, father. Um, yeah. He was the leader of the National Rally for about four decades, I think I'm right in saying. Um, what what did he stand for as as leader? Oh, he's extremely controversial. Basically, he was he was anti immigration. I mean, there were there were no other real policies. He flip flopped on the, on the economy. Sometimes he would be you know protecting the, the, uh, in favour of the idea of a kind of national protectionism of leaving the European Union, protecting French jobs, uh, and then he would flip back again to being a kind of neocon guy in terms of, of economics. But the underlying thing, I mean, the thing that really catapults him to success in the 1980s, in the European elections in 1984, that for me is where the, 
the real uh, jumping off point is for him. The big slogan in 1984 is a million unemployed is one million immigrants too many. And that's the, uh, that's the basic underlying message all the way through with the National Front. Law and order, again, a classic right-wing theme, law and order, immigration, and then not very far under the surface, of course, the idea of the irreconcilability, as it were, of, of immigration and French identity. And of course, we, what we really mean there, and, and he means, and what uh, she means nowadays as well, is the irreconcilability between Muslim identity and, and French identity. Perhaps we'll come back to that a little bit later on. But certainly it's the, it's the immigration strand that you can blame everything on foreigners. Now that might be, okay, immigration, most of the time, it could be Europe. It can also be globalization. Again, as I say, he flip-flops in terms of his economic policy. But that's the underlying the underlying theme is immigration. So she's essentially just joined the family business, hasn't she? Is she, is she basically a carbon copy of, of her father when we're looking at the policies that she has and wants to enforce right now if she were to win the next election? Is she just a copy of him, essentially? Yes and no. Uh, she has been, as I mentioned earlier on, there's this process of detoxifying the image uh, of the party. I mean, he said a lot of very stupid things about the Second World War. Um, some of your listeners or you might know that he described the uh, the gas chambers as, a, as merely a detail of the Second World War. She avoids, although from time to time she falls into the trap, uh, but she avoids that kind of language. What was very interesting about when she took over the party uh, after uh, he, he remained as an honorary president for several years after she took over, and she would always appear to be more moderate in her language. And he would come out with these with outrageous statements. He was no longer in charge of the party. But um, but actually, it didn't matter because he kept the, the kind of really very hard far right on board. She looked much more reasonable and therefore could kind of begin to, to tempt, uh, I was going to say moderate Republicans. What does that mean? What I mean by Republicans is the right wing, sort of the conservative party uh, in France. Um, but actually, under the surface, there's not a great deal of difference. It's more to do with the the presentation of the policies rather than what lies beneath. Yeah, you talked about immigration a lot in terms of um, that's what uh, the National Rally basically stands for. That's their one of their, their main points moving forward. Um, I, I think I remember Marine Le Pen um, saying that she would call a referendum on immigration if she were uh, to be elected. I think she's still holding that thought leading up to 2027. If that were brought forward, if that referendum were to happen, what what, what do you think would happen with the, 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 current, um, the current system? There's a problem with this idea of a referendum over immigration because it's not actually covered by the constitution. The constitution's quite strict yeah. about what it says you can, what can be brought to the French people for a referendum. And nowhere in the constitution does it say you can have a referendum over immigration. So we'd need to reform the constitution in the first place. She's kind of making a promise that she can't keep, and I suspect she wouldn't want to keep, um, because, you know, that's what far right-wing parties do. Logically speaking, if she were to get elected, because there are so many obstacles to her getting elected, yeah. if she were to be elected, one assumes that the people, and what has traditionally happened, not always, but what has tended to happen, is if a president asks a question, then the French people have said yes. Of course, there have been occasions where they famously said no. Jacques Chirac over the European Constitution in 2005, General de Gaulle in 1969 over Senate reform and, and regional reform. So 
it would be a risky strategy. That's the that's the thing. I think that you know we. That, but there are a lot of hurdles that she has to overcome. Two rounds of a presidential election, two rounds of a of a parliamentary election that she would have to overcome before she can then trigger some kind of refor- some kind of mechanism. Because that's what I don't. What I'm not quite getting, and a lot of commentators have made the point that it would not be legal. Okay, there's it, you, the, the the terms of a referendum are actually quite tightly uh, circumscribed in the constitution, and there's nothing in the constitution that says you can have a referendum over anything you like. So there's we're not quite there, but I think that the logic would be. I mean, you, you would imagine that if the French have voted for her and then have given her a, a majority in the National Assembly, then they would also vote uh, in favour of of whatever it is she's going going to ask them. Talking of legality, because you men- mentioned that there, I saw that Interior Minister Dominan um, also said that um, France would deport refugees deemed a threat without waiting for the European Court of uh, Human Rights to hear their appeals. Um, France has also just passed an immigration bill, I think I saw. Um, yeah. what, what What is in that? What does it do? Uh, and is this issue of immigration something that really is really resonating with with uh, the french at the moment and therefore uh, le pen is, uh, could essentially capitalize on that to win voters i think it's resonating with some people you know we've got this classic situation where a moderate party when i say moderate i mean a centrist party a centrist president and his ministers are kind of playing the game of the far right and i'm sure you know that uh, you know we all know about enabling and how it is that far-right parties get to exist because they're enabled by others who actually think that the best way to deal with a far-right party is to be tough on immigration. And so I think that there are people who think that the French are troubled by it. There are plenty of opinion polls that suggest that that is the case. They are worried about levels of immigration. Um, so let's let's say that they are. Uh, so what's what's this immigration bill about? Well, it's really about tightening up the process uh, of speeding up the process of dealing with immigration um, applications in the first place, the right to remain in France, but also making it much more difficult for immigrants to get access to healthcare. This is the the bill that at the at the moment I think it was voted on earlier this week or is in the process of being voted on the Senate. The right-wing Les Républicains have the majority in the Senate. They've got virtually no deputies in the, in the National Assembly, but they're very powerful in the Senate, and everything has to go through both houses. So there's a negotiation going on there. So what Macron wants is an immigration bill to look tough on immigration. He's negotiating that with the traditional right-wing party. He's not negotiating that with Le Pen, so that he can get this in place and have it ready for, you know, well ahead of and having had an impact well ahead of 2027. And of course, you, you mentioned Darmanel. Well, he's one of the potential candidates for 2027 because Macron can't stand again. Whether individual French people are really concerned about immigration is is one thing, uh, but what matters is that the that the political classes think it matters ahead of 2027, and that's what they're that's what they're getting their teeth into at the moment. And, and apart from immigration, I think you might have mentioned it earlier, but apart from immigration, what else uh, is someone like Le Pen focusing on um, in order to, to, to win over voters for, for 2027? What is really key to um, the French people at the moment? What she's focusing on is not not a Frexit. Uh, it's quite interesting that Brexit has taught everybody in Europe that the last thing you want to do is actually leave the European Union. But she's much more focused, I mentioned it earlier, on the idea of, of, of protectionism, of protecting French jobs, 
of uh, taking a tougher line with Brussels. Of course, you know, historically, she's always been closer to people like uh, Putin uh, in terms of her foreign policy. She's a disruptor in terms of the European Union. But then, of course, you know, we heard that about Maloney and she's not been able to, she's not been as disruptive or been able to be as disruptive as we might have anticipated. But Italy isn't France. No disrespect to the Danes. It's not Denmark. It's not Luxembourg. It's the fourth largest economy in the world. It's the third biggest arms exporter in the world. It's got a nuclear weapon. It's the only EU member at the moment on the security, the per- permanent member of the uh, member of the Security Council. I mean, I know it's a permanent member of the Security Council, but there are no other EU members. You get the point. And and France and you know the France Germany relationship uh, has historically been key to to Europe working. It's not working at the moment. So it's how that would play out uh, also with with her in charge. And she might be a kind of Trump-like figure within the European Union. It's, you know, the French president has a lot more power in terms of foreign policy than even the American president. This might sound, that might sound like an odd thing to say. There's no equivalent in France of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. Yes, there's a foreign minister, but basically the foreign minister is in charge of the diplomatic service. They might advise, it's true that there have been presidents who have been less good at foreign policy, Macron initially, for example, François Hollande, and so they get a specialist to be their foreign minister and let that foreign minister do their job. But I don't see her doing that. She would want to be that kind of, and would, would anticipate being that kind of woman, that disruptive presence within the European Union. Let's talk more on a, a global scale um, about Le Pen. Um, as you say, she she would like to be or would potentially be this disruptive figure if she were um, to be elected. Um, she in herself is, is 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 pretty controversial, just like Trump is, as, as you've mentioned. Um, but one of the things that I was trying to work out, and I just I can't really quite grasp, is her relationship with with Russia and with uh, Putin, because she, she's spoken almost in admiration sometimes of, of of Putin and of of the Kremlin. Do you have any understanding, really, of 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 what her relationship is like? with Russia and what it would mean if she were to be elected having this strange relationship with Russia? Well, the first thing to say is, I mean, the only people who would bankroll her in 2017 were Russian banks based in in the Czech Republic. Up until a certain point in time, French banks wouldn't touch her. It's important to understand that in in France, uh, election campaigns are part refunded by the state. So if you get a certain proportion of the vote, then you get half of your uh, election expenses reimbursed. So you'd have thought she was a pretty good bet for getting reimbursed, but actually French banks wouldn't touch her because she was a toxic brand. I mean, it's one of the reasons she changed the party name from the Front National to the Rassemblement National is because of that kind of toxic brand. So that's the first thing to say is that she's had a, you know, a very close relationship with Putin. She's not a big fan of NATO, but then within France, that always plays well. You know, uh, on the left, Jean-Luc Mélenchon is one of those who's a, you know, he's kind of a French Corbynite, as it were. Mélenchon goes down the path of saying that the invasion of Ukraine was is the fault of of, of NATO, uh, that kind of discourse. Uh, and even you, you also have people like Eric Zemmour, who was also a presidential candidate. I mean, the three of them, when the war broke out in um, in Ukraine, when the Russians, uh, the Russian Federation invaded Ukraine, they went very quiet all of a sudden. It's one of the things that boosted Macron 
uh, in the opinion polls, because of course they, that happened just before the last presidential election. So I think that if we look at it from the Kremlin's point of view, from Moscow's point of view, if she got elected, then it would be an enormous plus for them because they would see her not necessarily as being an ally, but certainly much more amenable towards Moscow. I mean, in, in the past, I've done media interviews for Russia Today and Sputnik, where they were basically, you know, particularly just after Macron had been elected, asking me to say, Macron was rubbish, shouldn't we, shouldn't they have elected Le Pen? You know, and you're kind of pushing, and, and that's that's telling you what the what the line is that's coming, coming out of, of Moscow is that she's much more not an ally, but certainly softer in, in her approach to uh, to Russia. Just finally, um, it's a big question, I suppose, and I, I guess it's almost an impossible one to really answer correctly. Um, and that's the what would a France under Marine Le Pen look like? You know, we we, we look at the the results from the last elections. We've seen uh, Emmanuel Macron's polling. Um, narrow, I guess you could say, uh, and a, a rise in um, popularity for, for uh, National Rally and, and Marine Le Pen. What do you think that a France under National Rally and, and Marine Le Pen would look like? How much would change and, and what would that do to Macron's legacy as well? Well, it would blow Macron's legacy uh, out of the water. What Macron has do- done uh, willfully is to destroy the French right, you know, because what he wants to do is, of course, I mean, it's quite a, an interesting pull, pull and push going on here. That Macron's he's still got you know what? Where are we? Twenty twenty three, four more years to be president, but he can't stand again. So, who's going to be the candidate? He doesn't want to get too close to them because he doesn't want somebody nicking his his aura before we get that far. But the to go back to your original question, what would France look like under? Well, first of all, she's got to win. She's got to get through the two the two rounds. And what will be interesting from my perspective, and what is very interesting from you know uh, commentators on French politics, is if she wins, because she hasn't yet won the first round, she's always, we expected her to be in first place in 2017. We expected her to be in first place in 2022. She wasn't. And then, of course, she's got to get through the second round. Now, the big question is, whoever she, let's say she does get through to the second round, who's the candidate who comes, who's going to challenge her? Who's going to get through that process? And then, do we all, at that point, are we still going to vote for a candidate who will stop her winning? Or actually, are we, this time, going to say, how much worse can it get? And that's something that does concern me. I've heard people in France, people on the left, who said, you know, how bad could it be? Um, well, it could be quite bad. What then happens in the general election? Because you have the presidential election. Let's say she wins that. What then happens in the elections to the National Assembly? Would we have a situation like we had with Macron, where actually there's je- there's actually a real energising of the electorate? And Macron's problem at the moment is he doesn't have a majority or not an absolute majority in the National Assembly. So would she get that majority? If she does, then everything is up for grabs because she will, there'll be a spoil system like you can't believe in terms of the the civil service. The chiefs of staff will, you know, they'll have to make some very serious decisions about whether they're willing to serve under a far right-wing president or, you know, she's probably schmoozing people even now, certainly almost certainly already has, ahead of 2022, um, to have them in key positions. So we would see a a massive removal of, you know, sort of changing of the guard. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you get people who are actually capable of doing the job. And you might well find that at the lower echelons of the civil service, you kind of get a situation, not unlike we had in, in Great Britain in recent years, where the civil service has kind of tried to just push back against 
right-wing, if not far-right-wing, a succession of far-right-wing governments. So you might find that, that there's this kind of attempt to, you know, Sleeping Beauty doesn't die, but she falls asleep for 100 years kind of thing going on. But, I mean, you know, the one, the one group of people, the one profession, the one institution that is absolutely behind it already is the French police. And uh, that would be, you know, that's been one of the big problems for a succession of French presidents and interior ministers has been keeping the French police under control. And we saw that very clearly with the riots back in back in June. Yeah. And I know I said that was the last question, but this is definitely the last question. Um, as, as someone who has spoken at great length and uh, mountains of research on, on, on French politics, do, how, do you ever find yourself kind of scratching your head as to how it is that, that a party like the National Rally has gotten into the position that it is when you consider um, its controversial views? Or, or is this just the way the world has gone? François Mitterrand once said, uh, this was in about 1993, two years before he finished being president the second time, he said, France is an old and conservative country. And when the left is elected, it's an accident. And I think that it's very easy for us to kind of look at France and think, isn't it left wing? Aren't the French, you know, sort of French Revolution and all that kind of stuff and the welfare state, isn't it marvellous, isn't it left wing? No, the French are a deeply conservative people. And I think that the challenges to, you know, French identity and things like laïcité, we used to think that secularism was the, was the, was kind of the, uh, that belonged to the left. And that's because, of course, back in the day, it was really protecting Republican education from Catholicism. Okay, and then and that's that's all been thrown in the air. Uh, Le Pen spotted that coming, and she kind of clothed herself in the robes of naïcité, of secularism, and of course that's shorthand for something else. And the French are, as I say, they're deeply conservative. So where is conservatism now in France? Is it with Macron? Well, arguably it is, or is it actually? And this is what's really happened to the Les Républicains, Sarkozy's old party. They've been squeezed and they've been pulled. They were squeezed between Macron and Le Pen. And then the members of that party have been, and some of them have said, look, if we agree with Macron, let's just join Macron. The mayor of Nice, a guy called Christian Oestros, he says, you know, you're crazy. He's an old uh, member of Les Républicains. He says, we're bonkers. This is crazy. We agree with the man. For heaven's sake, let's just, let's just cut deals with him. But the other members of Les Républicains said, "No, we, you know, we will, ha- we will not, we will not strike deals with Macron. He has set out from the from the get go to destroy us." And there are lots of people in the party. The party president, for example, Eric Ciotti, who before the last presidential election said that in the second round, if it was not Le Pen but Zemmour, the other far right wing candidate against Macron, he would vote, vote Zemmour. And that's where some of them are. This identitarian. We haven't really got onto that, but that's another aspect of this. This identitarian idea of a Catholic France. You know, Ciotti wanted to put that into the constitution that France is a country of Judeo Judeo Christian origin. So that's what's happening there. And, And so, this kind of fundamentally conservative country, I think that there are a lot of people who are who are willing to follow. I think there's a sense of exasperation as well. And as I say, People on the left, friends of mine, family who said, why not give her a go? That's the kind of sense of exhaustion. Yeah, well, there's a a lot to keep an eye on uh, leading up to 2027, a a lot of time um, to go before that election as well. We'll be keeping an eye on it, as I'm sure you will be, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us in the bunker. My pleasure.
Listeners, if you'd like to hear more conversations like this from us, why not support us on Patreon? For just £3 a month, you'll get access to all of our episodes first, ad-free, as well as access to some exclusive merch. I'm Chris Jones, reporting from The Bunker. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Chris Jones. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Simon Williams and me, Alex Reese. Our direction by James Parrott. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>